Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. This is a tough time for everyone, but remember that we're all in the same boat. I get a lot of questions about how colleges will react to the coronavirus disruptions. And again, since we're all going through it, they will understand. So please don't worry about the fact that you had to drop your community service or other activity that took you out of the home. Now on to our show for our last segment, Alex Bickford, College Coach uh, Finance Consultant, will be telling us about maximizing college saving plans to pay the college tuition bill. But first, um, as you can see on the film, if you're, if you're uh, watching this in video form, I will be welcoming Dr. Paul LeBlanc, President of Southern New Hampshire University. Southern New Hampshire has had a remarkable trajectory under his leadership, growing from 2,800 students to over 135,000 learners and becoming the largest nonprofit provider of online higher ed in the country. And it was number 12 on Fast Company Magazine's World's 50 Most Innovative Companies list, and that's the only university included. So Dr. LeBlanc is a pretty ideal person to talk to us about the challenges and disruptions being faced by higher education due to COVID-19 and how those disruptions might be creating opportunities for institutions and students. So Dr. LeBlanc, thanks so much for being here today. Sally, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Pleasure to be here um, talking to you. So I was wondering if you could first just kind of introduce yourself a little. I gave a little bio, but sort of what's a little bit of your background in in higher ed, just kind of a thumbnail uh, introduction. Well, you didn't ask, but I'm going to go way back because I'm going to point out that uh, my family immigrated when I was four. So I'm an immigrant. I'm a first generation college goer. Um, I was able to go to college in an era when I could get high quality but affordable college, and it changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I sometimes fear that for too many Americans, they're being left behind at that version of the American dream. And I know it can sound a little hokey, but it was my lived experience. And the passion that really fuels me in terms of this work is to make sure that we're making that available to the next generation of young people uh, in the United States. So my own journey is, you know, um, coming under the, the guidance of amazing uh, high school teachers and then uh, college faculty. And, you know, I worked construction every summer to get through college. And uh, in my senior year, my great mentor said, so what do we think about grad school? I was like, I'm not thinking about grad school. Like, who goes to grad school? <laughs> He's like, you're going to grad school. And, you know, in a kind of 11th hour way, she helped me make that happen. And it reminded me that for a lot of people, there's a kind of poverty of aspiration. There's certainly a poverty of finance, um, but poverty, of, you know, a sense of what's possible. And she widened my sense of what was possible. So I went on to graduate school, did a doctorate at UMass Amherst, and became a faculty member at Springfield College and was working in technology. So I've always had an interest in technology. And then so I did a detour. And it's interesting when I talk to people about career paths because they're not usually even. They're not a smooth trajectory, right? So my, my sideline was for three years, I took a leave of absence from higher ed from academia at least, and went to work for Houghton Mifflin Publishing and led a technology startup for them. 
and I learned a lot. And then came back and I was president of a little Marvel college, a idiosyncratic little progressive liberal arts college in the foothills of Vermont. And then 17 years ago came to Southern Hampshire University. So I have to say, fun. yeah, I was just going to say, I know Marlboro. I went to Reed College and I oh. had friends who transferred to Marlboro because Reed was too conventional, which is tells you something about Marlboro. Right. Um, and <laughs> so I can't imagine two institutions that are more different, but I think it's it's says something about how great the landscape is in the United States that you have two different two institutions that are so different because they're really it's all about finding the right place for the different students. Oh, and so many other varieties, right? Mm -hmm. Faith-based institutions, the military academies, research one institutions, you know, big sprawling public flagships like Madison, right, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, the Marlboros of the world or the NESCAC schools, you know, the Bates, Bowdens, Colby, mm -hmm. um, the former friend schools, you know, mm -hmm. Haverford, Bryn Mawr, Earlham. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of the great delights of higher education in America that there's probably a school for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We just have to make them more affordable. We have to keep it within reach. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm just thinking about my own experience. I mean, I, I think I went to college after you did, but I'm still, I'm so grateful that I was able to get this top-notch education. And I did borrow money, but it was less than 20000 I mean, I tell students, I drove a used car for a long time. That was the, that was the sacrifice I made. That is a so reasonable of a sacrifice. Yeah, you know, for, sure. yeah, and plus it's just, you for what hap, you know, what it gives you, right? And well, exactly. The, and that's the interesting calculus because I think we're having this, you know, the question of affordability and debt and how much debt is so much more complicated than sometimes our political debates would suggest. So when I think about debt, I think, you know, if someone is graduating and has a real calling to be an early childhood educator, they should have like no debt. Like you, they'll never be able to make enough to pay it back. And if we should help them do that because we need great childhood uh, educators. We also need to pay them more than we do typically, I would argue. On the other hand, if someone borrows thirty and even $40,000 with a computer science degree and lands a job at Google that starts at 80, mm -hmm. I think that's pretty good calculus. You're going to mm -hmm. be in a good position to pay that back. So as we often, you know, as the research tells us, choice of major is almost more important than choice of school. And then that sort of complicated calculus about what what's the lifetime impact of debt is really critical. Mm -hmm. And what's also, um, I think, complex, too, is people might start in engineering and transfer out. And then That's when they right. transfer into, and you know, English or history or early childhood education, um, yep. that changes the calculus. So, um, yeah, it really sort of argues for trying to lower the cost, as you've done at Southern New Hampshire. Um I want to, and 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 I'm, I'm. You can definitely weave that in, but I would like to kind of dive into the challenges that Southern New Hampshire and other institutions are going through right now, like the kind of disruptions due to COVID nineteen, and and please do weave in like issues of cost um, sure. to that as well. Well, like everybody else, so we people are more likely to know us nationally for our online programs, and as you said in your introduction, they're very large. I think. Uh, we and WGU are probably the two largest schools now in the country. Um, but we also have a campus, and that campus of about 4,000 students are grappling with, is grappling with every, you know, all the same issues that everybody else is. Now, we made an early decision not to open in the fall. Um, and in some ways, that made our life easier because we weren't planning for both scenarios. Mm -hmm. You had a lot of schools announcing that they are going to open, and now they're backtracking because I think part of their 
one of the bets they were making is that by now we would be wrestling the pandemic under control. And in fact, it's gone the other way. So mm-hmm. as we know, we're seeing a kind of uncontrolled uh, pandemic in the United States, especially compared to other developed economies. So, so our job is a little bit easier because our faculty and our staff could early on really start focusing on what does it mean to teach remotely, support students remotely, um, give them as much of what they get in a campus experience, developmentally speaking. It's not the same, right? You're not living in the dorm. You're not staying up till two in the morning with a whole bunch of friends talking mm-hmm. about the meaning of life. Um, it's not the same sense of belonging. And you're not out from under your parents' roof probably either. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we wrestled with that. We're lucky enough to be in a strong financial position that we could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think probably almost as important was our decision to um, announce our decision to, by September of 21, lower our campus-based tuition from $32,000 a year to 10. Mm-hmm. And it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, and we have a lot of people trying to figure out how to make that work. And we have meetings all, you know, every week and task forces working on that. So what we've said is for this year's incoming freshmen, you already get the $10,000 rate and we're going to give you a full scholarship because you're taking a bet on us. You don't know mm-hmm. what next year is going to look like our returning mm-hmm. students will also uh, have options in that sense but but everyone's remote this 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 first this first year for the mm-hmm. freshman. Um, yeah so the entire year not even the you're oh, not... I, I misspoke we have announced okay. through the fall semester um, mm-hmm. and if conditions are not significantly better than they are now and we can talk about what that's what's you know because it's not just what is the state of the pandemic it's what's the availability of testing mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other things. Um, so if we're in the same situation, sure, almost inevitably it will be a year. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, um, but it's not very promising at the moment. I know I might be being Pollyannish, but I've really been hoping for like spring semester. Like that's what things. I know. Are. I know. People are desperate. <laughs> but, we're all desperate to get back. You know. I yeah. Was on um, a call last night with a group of our undergraduates, and they're just great. A reminder. Like I miss them so much after they're like I was like. It reminded me how great they are. Like, I, you know, intellectually, but we've been all heads down this summer um, and they're desperate to get back. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Yeah, there is there is something. Um, I think the availability of online education is so crucial and helpful, but there is something special about being on campus and having those casual, friendly conversations with people. And like you said, being up until two in the dorm. Um I mean, I, I just, I, again, it's just something I feel really lucky about. How do you see, like, has, does, what does Southern New Hampshire, what are you planning on doing to try and replicate some of that? And, and yeah. like, maybe what do you see other colleges doing? So I think you and I are talking about actually the two jobs that campuses do. Mm-hmm. And I want to separate them for a moment because parents and students actually separate them. And, you, and I'll explain why I say this. So one job is give me this amazing academic experience that will unlock opportunities in my life and give me a meaningful career, et cetera. Right? We, we all kind of get that. And that's, a, mm-hmm. that's why you go to college. But in fact, there's a second job. And a lot of students you know, covet the second job. And it's this kind of coming of age developmental experience. And yes, of course, they're connected and they're tied. And the best schools, they're really deeply tied. But for a lot of people, they're pretty separate as well. And what does that coming of age experience include? It means I finally, you know, get my independence. I'm off from under my parents. I'm, you know, living in an intentional community. 
Uh, it's one I've bought into. Now I did all those tours. What was I doing? I was saying, is this the place I want to spend the next four years? Um, it's where I grow up. It's where I get to get involved in organizations. It's where I get to reinvent myself. For some people, it's where I get to find myself. It's the place where you get to study abroad. Like, you know, it's the place that transforms your life. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's connected to academics and academics can do that too. But so can they know that. I think, you know, I, my wife and I, we are our big primary thing to which we give uh, our support is a fund to help Pell Grant students do study abroad because study abroad actually has lots of extra expense. But I think it's one of the most life-changing experiences you can have. And we get letters from the students we support every year when they get back. And, you know, you get this kid from small town New Hampshire who ta- gets dropped into Florence mm-hmm. and the world just changes. The world is never the same again. It's so impactful. So, so that's what a campus does as well. So the, the tuition rebellion you're seeing, right, where campuses are saying, we're going to be wholly online, but we're going to cut your tuition 10%. And families like, 10% is not good enough. And the mm-hmm. minute they say that, what they're saying is there's some dollar value they place on academics and there's some dollar value they place on coming of age. That's very hard to know what's what. But that second job is pretty, va- pretty valuable. So now to go to your question, there's a chunk of that we cannot do online. I can't put you in a dorm, right? Mm-hmm. I can't put you in an environment where you're only surrounded, not only, but generally surrounded by people of your age. And, you know, I can't give you the party on Saturday night. Um, I can't get you, I can't, I don't think I can, probably shouldn't either try to do this online, you can do this on your own, but I can't give you the falling in love experience when, you know, see that guy or that girl, like, wow, like, right? Like, it's all of it, that's college. But we can give you really robust support, um, part of what happens in a campus is a sense of belonging. So we're going to try to think about that. If you think about uh, who often has the best campus experiences are those who find strong affinity groups. So if you look at the research, it's athletes, it's sorority and fraternity members, it's you know student government members. So can we, can we get that kind of stickiness for students, mm-hmm. even in a distant way? Yeah, our experience with adults, now that's a different population because our big online operations mostly adult learners, non-traditional age. But you really have to think about that. You also have to think about things like mental health, right? So we took a generation of college students with the highest level, like historically high levels of uh, anxiety and depression. We just gave them a pandemic and a recession and civil unrest. Not a great recipe. Right. Um, so, you know, can we bolster our mental health supports? So... I have lots of colleagues who have been calling me over the summer saying, what are the things I should be asking? We're going to be online. What do we need to do? And then they tend to ask 80% of their questions tend to be around the academic program. I keep saying, you know what? You have great faculty and they're going to, they're so committed. They're going to get that mostly right. They'll figure it out. It won't be great all the time, but they're going to be really diligent about it. Mm-hmm. But you're not asking enough questions about everything else. It's the everything else that's also part of college. And you really have to think hard about that. Um, and it's complicated, mm-hmm. like, right? Mm-hmm. College kids are up at two in the morning. Is there anyone answering the phone? If <laughs> someone runs into tech support, right? What happens if someone's in crisis? You know, there's no RA's door to knock on. Um, how do you, how are you thinking about that? And then again, how are you thinking about that sense of belonging? Mm-hmm. So are, so you're still figuring that out. I imagine that's not oh, God, something yeah. that there's a yeah. whole task force. Now they, we are lucky. They are lucky. And that they have this big, robust, sophisticated online operation that's been going on for a long time. So mm-hmm. they're pulling in a lot of their colleagues to say, okay, 
we've all, always only ever done this on campus. What do we need to know? Like, how are you guys doing this piece? How are you doing that piece? And the reason you wouldn't just sort of port it over is that the average age of an online student is 28. 86% mm-hmm. of them are working full-time. Most of them have kids. So 16% are veterans. Like, they don't have the same needs. Like, they've had all the coming of age they can handle. Right. They know what they're about. Like, I'm good. I got coming of age all taken care of. So mm-hmm. we can learn a lot, but it's not just a flipping a switch and saying, we'll just use your services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it absolutely makes sense. And it, it occurs to me that a lot of colleges haven't. I, I don't know. I don't know that I've heard a lot of colleges asking or talking about that as much. You yeah, know, it's, it's, it's kind it's, of interesting. So well, I can say it's kind of where you're going to win or lose the game, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I think students will want a better academic experience than many of them got in the spring, which was uneven, but that was hasty. Everyone will, yeah. everyone will be given the benefit of the doubt for that. So they want that to be better. Um, but if they have, if that's all they have, it's not going to be great. Mm-hmm. If you give them that and enough of that sense of community, enough of that sense of belonging, enough support, it'll get them through this year. I mean, next year, with a little bit of luck, you're hoping for spring. I'd be happy if we get there by summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back, right? We'll be back. Um, mm-hmm. But this will be this will be a challenging year. Mm-hmm. I think that is really important too, because I have had multiple conversations. I mean, as you said, the, there's a qualitative. Uh, parents and students are kind of assigning a number, and why should they pay all this extra money if they're not going to be on campus, if they're not getting that full experience. So I think yeah. that that is a big question for people. And it's funny because it's not room and board, right? Like room and board, they're not going to pay, but that's mm-hmm. how, that's where you sleep and that's where you eat. But under tuition and fees, we put both these jobs. So it's hard to unpack them. If you mm-hmm. unpack them and said, our academic program is X dollars and our coming of age is Y dollars, you would actually test the value of each of those. Like mm-hmm. what people would be willing to pay. And I think we might be surprised. And you hear this, right? People saying, look, I want a good academic program. So it's not saying it's not important. But what they're willing to pay versus what they're willing to pay for this other thing, that's that's an interesting piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. And when I'm on the phone calls with them, they sometimes, they want me to have all the answers. And I'm like, I can tell you, even the colleges don't have all the answers right now. So we're just going to need to keep like communicating and, and figuring this out. So. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. So um, we're going to go ahead and take a short break. And then Dr. Paula Blanc and I will continue to talk about challenges and opportunities in higher education under COVID-19. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, and I'm still here with Dr. Paul. Sorry, I should, probably shouldn't call you Dr. Paul. I should probably just call you like Paul. <laughs> so I was wondering, by the way, because, I mean, you already sort of touched on this, but because Southern New Hampshire did already have this hybrid model, it sounds like there has been quite a benefit. I mean, you've got colleagues who are able to talk to each other about how they've, how they've done things. So it sounds like the stress really isn't on the academic side of things. Um, as I'm not saying there's no stress, but for your in-person, it really isn't providing for your younger students, for your students who want community, that's where the stress is. I think it's the harder thing to replicate. So I think our faculty on the main campus who have mostly taught you know, in physical classrooms, so some of them, a number of them have taught online as well. They're, you know, it's not a small lift. They've got to think about what it means to be fully remote, but, but they have a lot of help on that one. And learning online for the campus faculty, learning online for the online faculty are pretty similar, mm-hmm. but you're right. This other piece, this developmental coming of age piece, that's very different. And it is, it's going to be a lift. Mm-hmm. So I, I was reading on um, the Southern New Hampshire website, or maybe it was a video where you said that um, you think that an online course can be just as good as, or maybe even better than an in-person course. And of course, to me, as someone who had this intense in-person education, and let's face it, I'm pre-internet, it existed, but it wasn't widely used when I was in college. That just sounds like heresy to me. (laughs) So a lot of faculty, by the way, as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I was kind of hoping you could address that quickly. Like how how is that the case? How can these online courses just be that amazing? Yeah. So um, first of all, I got to contextualize that comment just a little bit. I think that we, we've all had amazing in-classroom experiences, and I don't want to suggest that that's not the case. And we probably all remember those faculty who blew us away. I can, I can name them, right? Mm-hmm. I had a lot that didn't, <laughs> right? And, and students are really good about saying, oh, don't take so-and-so, and, you know, take this mm-hmm. one, you know, and et cetera. Um, but fundamentally, institutions have very little insight into what's going on in a classroom and the quality of that experience. Uh, when the faculty member closes the door on day one, it's a matter of faith at that point, because I, you know, as an administrator, I don't get to see inside. Mm-hmm. And there, I, you know, unless there's, you know, an eruption, if there's some problem, then maybe, you know, once every year or two, maybe a dean sits in for a day, but that's like performance art. And then there are course evaluations at the end, which everyone knows is a problematic instrument mm-hmm. at best. So I don't have really very good insight. When I compare that to my, um, and, and by the way, as we alluded to, if I've got 20 sections of a class, I'm going to have unbelievable unevenness. And students mm-hmm. know that. Students will tell you, like, avoid that section or that section, as I said. When I think about online, um, I have, you know, standardized course development. So I've got subject matter expert, instructional designer, assessment expert, content experts, all working together in a very robust way. And then when that class is uh, running, mul- hundreds of sections in some of our big, large, uh, large online classes, I'm monitoring those sections 24-7. Students mm-hmm. are on the platform. 
We're looking at their performance. Are they in? What are they on? Where are they stumbling? In week three, why does everybody struggle in that particular week? It allows us to go in and fix that assignment. We're collecting data, longitudinal data, in a way that's impossible in a traditional class. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I've got a master teacher who's taught that class and proven to be very good at it, checking in on every single section of every class every week. So I'm doing both quantitative data-driven monitoring, and then I'm having someone set eyes on the course. And a really good teacher can, within 10 minutes, I can log in in 10 minutes, like, yep, this is good. Mm -hmm. Students are engaged. Their questions are being readily answered. Good conversation going on. Looks good, right? So, So my only point here is that my mechanisms for quality control are much more robust. In fact, most traditional faculty would rebel if we ever said we're going to monitor your sections 24-7, someone's going to look in every week, et cetera. So our, our toolkit, now you have to have resolved, right? Just because you can do it doesn't mean that all providers do do it. Mm-hmm. But I think the best are at least the equal in terms of quality assurance measures as the traditionally delivered. And I will tell you that our online students routinely talk about amazing faculty the way you and I would talk about amazing faculty that we had in physical spaces. And we know this from our lives, right? We know that um, people increasingly in our society have many very rich engagements in online spaces, mm-hmm. right? And why would we think higher education would be less so? In fact, I was talking to somebody, Jeff Salingo, who writes, you probably know Jeff, who writes about higher ed. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the analogy of online learning to telemedicine. And he had a telemedicine visit with his daughter's pediatrician. And he's like, I'm never going back. It was so much better. So, right? And we talked about why. So, you know, it's, people shouldn't get defensive if they teach traditional classes and say, well, you know, I'm just as good. It's like, great. Like, you should be. Like, we pay a lot for full-time faculty to be in that space, and you're amazingly well-prepared. And the reality is they're on a curve, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's true with online. But I have better quality assurance mechanisms in online. Mm-hmm. So, I see that as a potential positive outcome of COVID-19. And I, I don't want to say that COVID-19 is a good thing. I want to be very clear. Right, I think it's course, a bad yeah. thing across the board. But, um, you know, when when um, when you talk to the staff at College Coach before, one of the things that I was really struck by is that you really seem to emphasize opportunities that might be coming out of that. And maybe one of them is better online courses, because I confess I took an online statistics course and it was oh, it was horrible. I mean, I'm not like a statistics. Yeah, I, it's, statistics is a field that I, even though I was a very good student, I need a lot of support in, and I, I wasn't feeling that support. Yep. Um, and the hours, the drop-in hours, were during the school day, so yep. I couldn't make it to them as somebody who works. So, um, so I'm just wondering if you're seeing this as one of the potential positives is that colleges are going to have to make this pivot at least at least the colleges that aren't sort of like the 30 most selective where people will kind of do anything to go to them. But, sure. you know, most colleges, there's an existential threat, essentially. So. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah, here's what I think will likely happen is that we will see um, a much greater comfort level with online and probably much more hybrid. So when we go back to normal, uh, much more hybrid integration of online mm-hmm. so that um, because you think about this, we also, when we're talking about young students, our traditional age students, and we're now dealing with the first wave of genuine digital natives. Mm-hmm. So they actually don't live much of their life offline, 
right? In fact, that distinction is one that our generation tends to make. Like I will say, I'm going to go online and do something. And I sort of look at nephews and nieces like they're never offline. They're at the dinner mm-hmm. table and they got their device and they're, 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 they're kind of, they're inhabiting both spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think on campuses, we will see students demanding and comfortably inhabiting both spaces. So, you know, I've got a, after, a job in the afternoon, but that one class I need is a prereq is only available then give it to me online. Like, why do I have to compromise my earnings because I need that job to be in school? So I'm going to take that online. Or I've got an internship in the West Coast and it's really cool. I want to go up there. Um, But for that semester, I don't want to not take classes. So why can't I take classes online? I think you'll see these integrations. And look, at that just gives students more flexibility and more options. I think from an institutional perspective, it's just a good thing because they're going to learn. Now, mm-hmm. you wouldn't design their learning this way. Like if you were designing a national experiment in online learning, it would no. not look like this spring <laughs> or like this fall. No. <laughs> but the one benefit, as you say, you know, amidst all this, this sort of, you know, challenge is that everyone's going to get better at it. They're going to understand mm-hmm. it and their students are going to demand more of it. And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty noticeable to me. My my nephew, who is um, 17, he went to uh, University of Connecticut for an engineering, um, you know, kind of class over the yeah. summer. He met, um, you know, he had a friend there. They got along great, came back. He was remained in touch with him very easily on screen. Yeah. And I asked my nephew where this kid lived because maybe they could see each other. And he's like, I don't know. Like, why do I need to see him in person? Like, it was just, it was so irrelevant to him to do that. I, I'm yeah. like, you don't even know. He's from Connecticut. It's not a very big state. We might be able to drive you to see him if you wanted. He's like, nah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> so it's interesting because I had this fascinating conversation with um, one of the, the chief technologists from one of the big more, uh, automobile manufacturers. And he said to me, you know, when we were, 16 the day that we could get our license we were at the dmv which was true for me like Mm -hmm. camped outside right because a car was freedom Mm -hmm. i could hang out with my friends you could go see them you could put five others in the car and you could drive around and listen to music right i'm sure you had some version of that sally um he was saying today they struggle to sell cars to teenagers Mm -hmm. the average age of licensure has gone up and the average age of first purchase has gone up why because I can stay on my bed in my house and on my computer, I can be in touch with all my friends, not mm-hmm. just five who can fit in the car. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm. Comp-, he said, I don't compete, and he named a bunch of car companies. He said, I compete with social media. Right. And I thought right. it was really telling, right? So, if you think about it, when traditional institutions, analog institutions, worry about competition, they're they're competing with social media. They're competing with the internet. They're competing with online polls on their students. And those mm-hmm. students want to be in those online spaces increasingly. Mm-hmm. Now, look, so, I hear this from parents. My kid doesn't love online. They need structure. They need accountability. I do think there's something about 18-year-olds needing more structure and supportive accountability. Mm-hmm. So how you create that, like a lot of kids really struggle with online. So you have to think about that accountability factor that you do get in the classroom. That is, so that's the tricky part. I also think about the students who are sort of a little bit more kinetic almost, like there are students who sort of seem to need yeah. to be more physically around their friends. And, you know, I think about like football players who are always sort of 
honestly punching each other and stuff like that. It's a, it's a way of relating yeah. that, that, that not all students do, but for those students, I kind of imagine that not being in the same space is a little more challenging. Well, this um, is like, these are among your most socially intense human beings on the planet, right? Right. I mean, 17, 18, 19 year old. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We just, I did, I was a part of a conversation with about 30 other university presidents almost all of them say they're going to open their campus. But when we do one of these anonymous polls in the side of Zoom, mm -hmm. two th fully two-thirds of them said they have zero confidence that they'll be able to stay open. And when we then said, okay, don't have to give it away where you voted, but why would, why would people not have confidence? It was unanimous. Because young people can't stop themselves. No. They're going to socialize. They're going to break the quarantine mm -hmm. rules. They're going to go out and find a way to place to socialize, have parties. They're going to fall in love. They're going to make out. They're going to do the whole mm -hmm. thing, right? Like, that's right. what the young's about. Sorry, Sally, that was probably not. No, no, I, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to go beyond that, but I think that no, was no, probably. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Um, so what, I mean, what are tips that you would give students who are, I mean, I think this, um, what are tips that you would give students maybe especially those who are class who are graduating in 21 going off to college in fall of 21 but even if you had any tips for students this starting this fall I think that would be great yeah so I think a know thyself right so you you have to know and it was really interesting when we've been doing a lot of feedback surveys with our students there are some students like I need synchronous like I need a schedule like I do better mm -hmm. there are others like I need asynchronous, right? I need, mm -hmm. because I'm helping my, you know, my mom lost her job. So I'm helping with the household income, which means I have to work, which means my best time for getting is on late at night. So we have to be good at giving students options. Students have to be good self-advocates. So know what you need, mm -hmm. like know how you, and they sometimes will say to students, what are the things that have to be true for you to be most successful in school? Like what has to happen for that to mm -hmm. be the case? And it's interesting how often students don't actually know that immediately. Mm. Now, if you are patient and you ask good questions, you can unlock some of that. So I would urge students now to know that and then advocate for the things you need. Um, I think that's critical. Second thing is the thing we would say to every incoming student if they were coming to campus, which is push yourself to get involved. Like get out of your comfort zone and reach out, be involved. And we know this from the research, right? We know that if a student isn't involved, doesn't have a meaningful relationship within three weeks, that their chance of, of uh, attrition, sky high. So mm -hmm. how are you going to do that? Now, schools are going to presumably bend over backwards to make all kinds of opportunities available. You got to sort of push yourself to that. Mm -hmm. um, a third is really a mindset question. If you decide it's going to really suck, it's going to really suck. Mm -hmm. So you got this, you know, so you've got to think about like, okay, it's not what I chose. It's not the ideal. Um, you've got to, you know, I'm a huge fan of Lori Santos, the happiness lab I don't know mm -hmm. if you listen to her at Yale, but she would say, how do you peg this? Are you going to, are you going to look at your year and say, oh my God, it's not what would have happened at campus. Are you going to look at your year and say, oh my God, it's so much cooler than what I was doing last year in high school. Right. Or it's so much better than every, you know, the suffering around me. Like how it's the old, you know, the silver medalists are miserable. Bronze medalists are euphoric. Like, wait a minute. Silver medalists are looking up at the gold medals. Like, ah, so close. Bronze right. medalists, look, I'm, I'm up here on the medal stand. You're on the medal stand. You're going to college. Right. Like, all right. And then the last thing I would say, and, Laura, and I'm quoting Laurie Santos here on this one, Sally. 
she would say, it won't feel this way right now, but this class may be the most bonded class ever. Hmm. It's, it's going to be the pandemic class of 2021. 20, and you will have lived through something that you will recall for the rest of your life. It can be traumatic or it can be impactful. That's a choice that you largely get to make. Not all of it, right? Mm-hmm. If you lose a loved one, that's not your choice. That's traumatic. Right. But if uh, assuming that you get through this in a healthy way and you, and you can say, all right, find your way, make it impactful. Don't make it traumatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the things. Yeah. So to the extent that they can view things as a positive challenge that they've overcome. I mean, I've actually had some students be really proud um, of their ability to switch to online learning over the spring and still do well. You know, other students were more focused on frustrations, but I was, I was impressed with how many students were like, you know what, it was tough at first, but then, you know, I, I actually got more sleep because I wasn't commuting to school and I was able to still make it, I was able to figure it out. And if I can channel Hamilton, you get to write the narrative of this coming year. Mm-hmm. Like no one else gets to write that narrative for you. Like, okay, this is the sort of circumstances, but what you do in that context, these are choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, choose to make it a great year. Mm-hmm. All right, great. All right, listen, thank you so much, Paul. My pleasure, Sally. It's great to be with you. Um, All right, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, I'll be welcoming Alex Bickford to discuss maximizing college saving plans to pay the tuition bill. Thanks again, Paul. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now... Back to the show. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Sally. How are you? Okay. And by the way, everyone, Alex earned his bachelor's and his master's degree at Southern New Hampshire. So it's kind of great to have have, have had Dr. LeBlanc uh, on the show. Um, actually, Alex is how we met Dr. LeBlanc. Um, so... No, no bigger fan of Southern New Hampshire and Dr. LeBlanc than me. So I'm glad to be here today. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, Alex is going to be talking to us about, well, I'll let you take it off. What's your topic today? 
Sure. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, just your college savings. A lot of parents right now are either paying the bill or getting ready to pay the bill uh, and worried about making their savings last the four years of college or maybe even just trying to figure out how to get through this year. And so really talking about the assets that families may have accumulated to help pay for college, how to best use those uh, over the next four years uh, to make it most effective for the family. Okay. All right. Great. And so I know a lot of people, I mean, the stock market is down, um, although it's being really schizophrenic. So <laughs> right, I don't know. Exactly, maybe it's, right. maybe it's, it's up not, today. <laughs> maybe it's not down right now. Yeah. I don't know. It was down a couple of days ago. Um, but anyway, so um, I know a lot of people say, you know, their college savings is down a bit from where they want it to be. So should they borrow and let it rebound or? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, one of the biggest things that I'll work with families on at this time uh, is looking at their assets they have and determining how they're invested. So for instance, if you're in a 529 plan, oftentimes families might choose in a 529 plan what's called an age-based adjustment. Uh, It's a target date investing plan that at this point, if you have children who are uh, either really going to college in the next couple of weeks, uh, going to college in the next couple of weeks, or even in the next year, your assets are probably pretty conservatively invested if you're in that target date investment plan. So if that's the case, you really don't have a whole lot of opportunity for rebound. Now you don't have a whole lot of opportunity for growth either. Uh, So if you're invested in that kind of plan, uh, it's time to take a look and say, okay, what really works best? What are my best opportunities? Do I have enough money to go through the four years? Uh, Am I going to need to borrow at some point? Uh, And if I'm going to need to borrow, now might not be a bad time to look at borrowing because while the rest of the economy is in flux, as our interest rates for loans, actually your interest Mm -hmm. rates for loans are at, uh, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but because I've been saying it for 13 years, historical lows. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interest rates on loans are really, really low right now. So federal student loans, as well as some private student loans are really good opportunities there. So if you feel like you're going to shortfall at some point over the next four years, you actually might want to borrow at least to some degree this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Take advantage. I've seen loans. I mean, these are mortgage refinancing, but like 2.6%. Right. And I that's mean, the rate on uh, the federal student loan on the on the direct unsubsidized and subsidized loans. So really wow. great rate. Yeah. Yeah. I paid, I think, eight point something. <laughs> that well, Sally, felt like higher amounts. <laughs> if anybody wants to know Sally's age, contact me. I'll go back over the historical interest rates and we'll <laughs> we'll detail that out. <laughs> I should not. Have, I should not have told you that. All right. Moving on very, very quickly now. <laughs> so, all right. So what if somebody has enough in their college savings to cover the first two years? Is there any reason not to fully use their 529 plan? Yeah, so there's a couple things to think about there. So the first thing that I'd say is, once again, so you've got enough money to get through two years. That's awesome. Uh, keep saving if you can. Uh, keep making sure that you have as much as you can to maybe start stretching into that third year. Uh, probably an opportunity, though, to look at borrowing. As I said, Sally, you know, if you mm-hmm. only have a couple of years funded, that means that you're going to need to borrow at some point, very likely. So if you're going to need to borrow at some point, maybe you spread that borrowing out over a few years. Have your student take advantage of their federal student loan eligibility at those really low rates right now. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you say, okay, uh, what can I cover in a payment plan or what can I cover in my own student loan uh, to help shortfall this gap that I'm going to have? And maybe you find that you can start saving enough and enough in the, in the federal student loan for the student that maybe you can get 
through that first semester of their junior year and maybe postpone borrowing until their second semester. Mm -hmm. uh, so a couple of things to think about there. And then yeah, oftentimes families, especially uh, families who have incomes below like 160,000, uh, will have opportunities to for some tax credits or some tax deductions uh, on their cost of college. So if they're going to qualify for something like the American Opportunity Tax Credit, uh, spending fully from the 529 plan actually prohibits you from that credit. Mm -hmm. You need to spend at, at least $4,000 uh, to get the full credit, $4,000 on tuition out of either a student loan or some other type of investment uh, that isn't a 529 plan. So it's actually a really big ben benefit uh, to spend $4,000 on tuition from some other source because then you get a $2,500 credit back. So that's really free money that you're turning away if you don't do that. Uh, mm -hmm. And that'd be $2,500 more to put towards next year or the year after. Uh, mm -hmm. So lots of things to think about when you're talking about spending your savings. Probably don't want to use it all at once. Uh, if you can get those tax credits, uh, take a little bit in the student loan and spread that out, probably a better opportunity. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, any reason, and I think you already said that this can be a good idea, but any reasons to continue investing in your 529 while you're in college? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is make sure you have an idea of what your four-year costs are going to be. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a major financial change. And for a lot of families right now, there is a major financial change. There could be a job loss uh, going on. There could be another child going to college or uh, one graduating from college. Looking at what the four-year cost might be, going onto the school's website, if you're qualifying for need-based financial aid, doing a net price calculator to try to get a good assessment of what your four-year projections are, uh, and then saying, okay, where am I at as far as my savings? Most families that we work with have an opportunity to save more. They're going to have more costs at some point. Uh, so saving more money now might give you some state tax benefit if you're saving a 529 plan, uh, maybe a state tax deduction on your contributions there. Uh, you might be able to be saving for uh, younger kids to help you meet those savings goals, uh, or if you're a student going to graduate school. And then, in fact, even money left over in the 529 plan, up to $10,000 per beneficiary, can be used to repay their federal student loans. Mm. So you have some opportunities to repay loan debt with that money, uh, tax-free. So uh, for most families, I say keep saving. Save as much as you can, uh, especially if you're shortfalling on whatever your savings goals are there. You know, looking at those tax credits that you're getting back, uh, if you have stimulus money and, and you don't need that stimulus money to finance, you know, your, your uh, life right now and your budget right now, you know, consider using that money towards that. Um, but of course, if your family's in financial straits right now, might not, might not be a bad idea to cut back on the savings. Mm -hmm. uh, use the loans to help fund the shortfall uh, right now and use that cash flow to help, you know, cover the necessities in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk to this, talk about this with you too. I had a friend who actually said that his financial advisor, he and his wife had been dutifully started putting away money in the 529 plan with their son. They built it up to 60,000, which is great, but not yeah. going to cover a private school, not even sure. all of a public probably, right? Unless the kid's going to live at home. And then um, I guess the financial advisor called them up and said, well, I think you're done. You don't need any more than that. And I was like, what is he talking about? Do you know how expensive right. college is right. right now? I said, you know, I mean, you're probably, he's probably, I said, you know, you don't have to send him to an expensive private college, but what about, you know, the UC schools? Don't you want right. to be able to pay for that? Like, 
And I showed him the costs and we, I was like, looks to me like you should keep saving, but maybe ask him why he said this to you. Right. Um, and so depending on how far the student was out, you know, growth potential there, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how old that, that, that student was, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly, yeah, unless you're staying at home, like you said, in commuting, most public schools are going to cost more than that. Now, listen, in that family's life, they may have been say, saying, you have other things you need to be saving for. You need to increase mm -hmm. your retirement savings. You need to build an emergency fund. All of those other things might have been playing a role in that. And they are saying it's time to cut back on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but certainly, Certainly that amount probably wasn't enough. Uh, like I said, unless that student was saying, I'm going to go to the community college for a couple of years, then go to a four-year school or something like that. That may have been enough money. Um, but certainly, like you said, Sally, not enough for a private college. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Alex, I was hoping to, unless you have anything to add to that, did we cover everything? No, I think that's okay. good. Okay. All right. So I would love to ask a little bit about your experience. We only have like a couple minutes, but just briefly, like what stood out to you about Southern New Hampshire? What did you just really love about it? Yeah, so I can tell you that Southern New Hampshire for me uh, was just a great opportunity. Uh, when I, in, in high school, like I think a lot of students that we work with uh, did enough to get by, did well, uh, but did well from, you know, from the minimal effort I put in. I was lucky to do well, I will say. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Southern New Hampshire presented me with an opportunity to come and prove it, if you will. Uh, and, and accepting a wide variety of students there and, and with some really high achieving kids and with some kids who, you know, just barely got by in high school, uh, offered a really great opportunity, great diverse mix of students on campus from that perspective. Uh, and when you go there, there are just so many people. So, in, in, and this was from the on-campus perspective, the on-campus perspective, small campus, uh, but really in touch with their students. A mm -hmm. lot of people that really care about the students there. That was the biggest thing for me. My success is totally attributed to all of the people from President LeBlanc, who came there mm -hmm. well into my professional career, but all the way down into the financial aid counselors that helped me, the residence life staff that helped me, uh, that really cared uh, about me. And so not even just my academics, but my overall success and giving me those opportunities. I really... My my time there certainly is second to none. Uh, it was great for me uh, and was just a really unique experience. Mm -hmm. All right, great. I'm so glad to hear that. I love hearing about kind of these gems of schools that maybe not everybody's been talking about, but they're right. just, they do so much for their students. So they do. Yeah. They do. They, 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 whatever you need. <laughs> that yeah. was always, that was always the, the approach that the staff took with me anyway. Right. Right. What do you need to be successful? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks, Sally. It was great talking to you. All right. So thanks again to Dr. Paula Blanc for joining us. Um, be sure to join us for our show next week. Our regular host, Beth Heaton and her guests will be discussing the top five Pieces of advice for students going on to their senior year of high school. This is going to be top five in admissions and financial aid applications. So that's going to be a great show um, as you wrap things up. Um, and then also regular, um, regularly listeners have all heard me recommend this before, but I keep getting questions about it. So I'm going to keep mentioning it. Uh, remember that if you want more information about how to handle the admission process in the time of COVID-19, um, and the financial aid process for that matter, please go to our, um, please visit our blog page 
at blog.getintocollege.com. You'll be able to search for particular blogs on those subjects. And you also can find getting in show summaries there. The full archive will be available to you. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.